Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome along to the final Wise Men Seer podcast of the season. And that is going to be it for the summer. We're going to have a summer off, Gareth, aren't we? Mm, it'd be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. So not not have to do anything for a bit. I can't wait for it. I could do with a night off, to be honest. Bit Why of a, is that? Bit of a heavy one. Was it? Uh, so we brought in a couple of people who like to speak uh, for the last one, and hopefully I can just sit and doze off for a bit. Nick Barnes, Sunderland commentator. Been a while since you've been on, Nick, I think. It is. And I'm just thinking, I think Sunderland have had a season off, haven't they? Yeah. It feels like it's it. about eight. <laughs> and Martin McFadden from Love Supreme joins us as well. Hiya, how are you doing? Fresh from doing loads of interviews. There's always something happening whenever you, you sit and be on, because we always sit and say this to you. There's always something happening, isn't there? Although, yeah. actually, listening to your crack in the car on the way here, it sounds like you've been <laughs> busier than me, um, socially, Wait, anyway. Some, in terms of alcohol consumption. You had some crack in the car. It doesn't sound... He was making us laugh and everything. Really? <laughs> it's never been known. Never been known. Right. Who, wants to, say, who wants to say police? things <laughs> about Sunderland, because I haven't got anything prepared for Keep on saying Martin on the telly. <laughs> no, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, mate. Martin, you said it was a bit of an anticlimax in the end, the season, really, in a way. Well, in it, like, I mean, the Chelsea game in itself, mm. it was almost like a kind of non-event. Yeah, like a show. You know, when when they carried Drogba off after like twenty-nine minutes, I was like, oh well, maybe they're not trying as hard as they might be. And then, it was like going to the West End, wasn't it? It was like. Yeah. It was like being on the tourist trail and what you do when you come to London because it always seemed to be foreign accents around the stadium as you buy a ticket to go and watch a show at Stamford Bridge and that was all part of it. Mm. A lot of it flag was very, weird, very odd. It was nice to go into the last game like with their... Pressure just, off. Yeah, and just and just to kind of try and enjoy to see who was uh, going to go down between Newcastle and Hull but I hadn't really reckoned for the Mags like ending up higher in the league than us, to be honest with you. I hadn't, I hadn't even considered that I scenario. I wouldn't have liked to have gone into the last game, though, needing something the way it panned out at Chelsea. Yeah. Just that atmosphere and mm. the way the game was and the way that Jose Mourinho and Chelsea sort of stage managed the occasion. I just felt that it would have been a horrible game for Sunderland to have to go in needing a point. Mm. But, I mean, definitely application of the, of the players was quite good again, do we think? Um, they didn't, the Sunderland players didn't seem like mm. the... They uh, had nothing to play for, Maybe which is a little bit worrying because Chelsea didn't even seem to get it with second gear. And sloppy the, at the they still beat us quite comfortably. Like Manoni should have done better for the, for the second and the. the yeah, I haven't seen them back on the telly yet, but the second one from where I was sitting, no, I certainly thought the second one was particularly bad, and the, the third one is positioning. I don't really know what he's doing. Is um, he on his way out now, Nick? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think Manoni's time has come. I think regardless of whoever was going to come in or does come in or if Dick stays. I think the fact that you know, he's not really had a look in all season, really, since the start. Um, if I was Manoni as well, and you know that Pantelimonti is going to be the number one keeper, and the, the clubs that Manoni's been at, Arsenal and Sunderland, he, he won't want to be sitting another season on the bench. Mm. So regardless of whether they think he's good enough or not, I think it would have been agitating to move anyway. 
Such the thing is, you could. We were talking about this the, the other night, and you could move somewhere else and then end up being second choice as well. Even mm. if even if the takerman is, you know, and then the same way you're going to be the first. It's always the same with keepers, isn't it? They're they're a weird lot where you think they must be sick by now, but some some keepers always seem to be second choice everywhere. Yeah, right, right I, I, the I, the and career. sadly, I mean, he's a he's a lovely guy. You know, you couldn't fault him in that aspect, but. Uh, you know, the, one of the problems is his mental fragility, I think. I think we mm. saw that towards the, the, those few games when he was sort of left in by Gus. And to a degree, it was there at Stamford Bridge on Sunday as well. And I think, you know, any any manager or any goalkeeping coach looks at Manoni mentally and thinks, actually, is he strong enough to be number one at a club? If you're going to play at that higher level. I mean, I could see him playing in the Championship and being a number one keeper in the Championship, but I think he's got ambitions beyond that and that's possibly what's going to hold him back you feel I mean because we, we were a little bit concerned when we signed him and then he, he actually got player of the season didn't well, he yeah. but, 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 you, you, despite that you always feel like there's a blunder there waiting don't you there's one around the corner yeah he's made Might a be few a bit harsh, but at the, at the top level I guess that's it I think you know. it's I mean like last season everyone obviously loved him and then this season Pantillamon has kind of showed that he's like a cut above I think he's, his only weakness is that like one-on-one strikers know that if they hit a low, he's not going to get down to us, you know. Although he did, he did get low down against Leicester, didn't he? Was it? Well, mm, a couple yeah. of games he did actually show himself to be quite agile. There's been a few when he's when but, he's like I feel that he's given goals away that like a smaller keeper would have got to them. But then obviously when he comes for crosses, yeah. sort of Mart Poom like, and you and you see the the attackers. Just like looking round as if to say we're not going to get anything in the air. Never yeah. felt as secure being a Sunderland fan when the other team gets corners and no, puts the like balls into the box. He just comes and clears it. We're quite does. a tall team as well now, yeah. which is something that Poyet was was sort of like looking towards sorting. Where you know when we used to have Gardner, Larson, Catamol, we used to have like a short ass midfield, really, didn't we? And and now <clears throat> we've got players around the pitch who are actually you know quite tall. You get a few extra players like. Rod well and you know like even some of the wingers are actually quite tall it counts on set pieces mm. I mean I, I mean going back to Manoni as well we, we forget sometimes you know you go back to last season and that blunder at Manchester City and mm. you know what a huge one that was really in some mm. senses and, you, you felt from that day I did, you felt you know you, 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 you did but I think season. it was sort of indicative, uh, indicative of, of, of where Manoni is mentally sometimes I, I think, think that's you look over the years at something we've had like every season we seem to have had one decent keeper and I mean before Mignolet had his unbelievable year oh, and got his move to Liverpool, Gordon. it was very much a toss-up between Westwood and Aye. and Mignolet. That it was who's going to who's going to get the start, and it, it was Mignolet in the end. I mean, Westwood. I know he started under De Canio, and he actually. I remember. I know we got beat three-one or whatever it was off Arsenal, but he, uh, he in the first half he was just making save after save. He had about seven or eight shots to make save, and then he got he was doing all right until he got. I uh, think he got his head taken off by. Paul McShane in that game at Hull where we ended up with nine men. But it's a tough position in the sense I think it's changed over the years. I mean, we used we're, to sorry, say, Westwood's also got player of the season at Sheffield Wednesday. Oh, well, that doesn't surprise I mean, he is a, he's a solid keeper in a lot of ways, but you go back and you look at the way that goalkeeping's changed over the last ten years because ball technology's changed as well. I mean, even the likes of Joe Hart aren't... You know, they're susceptible mm. to being dropped. They're not consistent. You don't get many keepers right through the league from top to bottom who are consistent perhaps like they, they were 20 years ago I think we've done alright for keepers over the mm. last sort of 12, 15 yeah. years we, we always keep the keepers busy though don't we yeah. you know so the only, the only <laughs> bad season <laughs> the only, the only, work. is he going to get yeah. a move though but do we have to worry about that now I think, it, yeah, I think, you, he, I think you definitely get a move you, you, you're a risk when you're a club like Sunderland we need to bring somebody else losing these players 
because we, if we think now Manon is going to leave and Pickford might step up, he's probably I think he's not I ready think for the first team. There's a very, team. very strong chance yeah. Pickford's going to be number two next season. Yeah, so he's not. You wouldn't say he was quite ready for number one. So it's important. No, it? but I think, I mean, it's the old argument that. that you know, I mean, it's the Duncan Watmore argument to a degree, isn't it? That if you've got a talent like that, the only way they're going to get experience mm. is by putting them in the first mm. team. It's harder for Pickford if he does step up to number two next season because he's unlikely to get the chance it's because Pantelimon is, yeah. you know, yeah. is pretty much solid. Traditionally, the number two keeper plays in the in the oh, league the cups. cup. So yeah. he might get his go in the mm. in the cup, which well, would be quite good. Well, for we lose three yeah. one at home to Crew or something, and somebody will score <laughs> yeah. from like twenty five yards <laughs> for Crew, won't they? Well, it's stranger things. I mean, you always <laughs> keepers. I think always work on the basis as well that somewhere down the line, the, the the first choice does get an injury or does get you know something happens and there is a switch. I think we've got. I mean, the the season. I think it was the most frustrating one was probably when we had um, Poom and and Myra, and we went up and then got rid of them. And got Calvin Davis, and we mm. had Ben Anik for that season. With <laughs> when we got 15 points, which is uh, probably the weakest we've pair of goalkeepers we've had but, in the last. But 10 Davis years. then had a, I know, had a solid yeah, career at yeah. Southampton, and as it turned out, played against Sunderland. Yeah. I remember. I remember bumping into Tim Carter, like sort of rusty soul, um, on a, on that pre-season when we when we got Davis in, and him and Nosworthy kept running into each other and losing and. <laughs> That was just before the season started, but <clears throat> I was like, we, we had two good keepers, and he's kind of got rid of them both. And what? And he was like, oh, the McCarthy felt we had injury problems, and and it was it was just really strange because he spent quite a, he didn't have much money to spend, and he spent mm. quite a lot of money on him from what we had, mm. and then and then obviously just didn't work. But then, like you say, he was playing at the weekend still, like in the in the Premiership. Mm. I'll never forget that night at Old Trafford though, when yeah. Davis had that. One that good blinder, game. yeah. I mean, it was one good game, but I mean, if you're going to have a good game, what a good game to have! Yeah, I, mean, I think the thing with keepers is, I think the thing with keepers is like once you, you don't trust them, you never feel safe with mm. them, you know. And it's the same with centre halves. I mean, in, in a way, yeah. Well, I think Manoni suffered from that as well. Yeah, I think he knows that. Man I think he won, knew yeah. straight away that when he would made the mistakes, he, I think that the issue with Manoni and Pantilimon was. Manoni was undermined to a certain extent in the summer when Pantelimon was signed because suddenly Manoni felt then, hang on a minute, if he's yeah. brought in Pantelimon, he doesn't want me as number one. So every save I make from the start of the season, if I get the shirt, which he, was, he had to get really, he's under scrutiny. So he, await, he knows that they were waiting for that mistake mm. and then he makes a mistake. And what does Gus come out and say? Well, I don't drop a keeper after one game. I do it after two, and that's what, you know. <laughs> so it, and you did. could see him then in that game. He was a bag of nerves, just mm. waiting to make that mistake. The Arsenal game, yeah. yeah. I mean, Davis talks about a lot now, doesn't he? Saying that it got to a point where the Sunderland fans just blamed him for everything that went in, and that's possibly true because he said it's hard to, to get that reputation off. But I think it him and Gary Green didn't it come from when Matt, yeah. Matt Taylor scored from Roker or something yeah, against him. Did yeah, it was Portsmouth. He was playing for Portsmouth, wasn't it? Mm, halfway line, wasn't scored it? from the beach or something. Yeah, yeah. someone yeah. someone like ran on the pitch, didn't they? And yeah, the confront. <laughs> when we like losing four 0 before half time or something. No, no, was, one 0 up at half time. One 0 up at half time, but lost four one. Second, we did that twice that season. Yeah. So, what the other one? We're not talking about the it's a good job he got. He played well, and we got that point on the Good Friday because yeah. um, it would have been a rather unpleasant experience. Uh. But it, but the goalkeeping position is a horrible one anyway. I mean, you're talking about centre halves. I mean, and making mistakes. I mean, Brown. You know, for, for all that he is a, a solid centre half, you know mm. that in a season there'll be two, three games where he drops a clanger. But a centre half, the outfield players will get away with it. Yeah, you know, they, they will. Sure. They're not mm. scrutinised as a goalkeeper. Definitely. We we mentioned the. Uh, 
15 point team now we we, we mention them far too much mm. don't we I'm trying to like erase that from my memory but a, uh, as, an well, history makers well, as, but as far as you know <laughs> beat them beat themselves <laughs> as far as 19 points they're legends 15 as far as rubbish sun on performances go on Nick the, all the years you've been covering them the 8-0 itself happened yeah, this season the worst what was, seen, what was yeah I mean, when the strange was thing, like cover? Well, the strange thing was that um, well that afternoon was really weird because all the build-up in the weeks to that Southampton game had been about the crisis at Newcastle. They were in absolute disarray. And then, of course, that afternoon was the afternoon that Newcastle were unveiling that huge screen. And a couple of hours before kick-off, it turns out it's hanging off, you know, and they couldn't open the ground. And so everything was focused on St James's Park and, the, you know, the, it was a metaphor for everything that was going on at Newcastle. And then the Southampton game kicks off because everything was serendipity at Sunderland at that point, you know, pretty good start to the season, draw at West Brom, blah, blah, blah. And then Virgini scores that wonder goal. And um, class, it, it was absolutely unbelievable. You had to rub your eyes with that uh, one. Well, it was. That then, was like, did that really go, just happen? You couldn't, you couldn't really be angry at no, him, could you? They go to up. celebrate it. Oh, it was just extraordinary. <laughs> Watching that was just extraordinary because it was such a fantastic finish at the wrong end. And then like I heard you, heard you commenting on that goal, actually. Well, what? I wonder what it was like. I think he was confused by not wearing red and white stripes, wasn't he, that afternoon? <laughs> we actually, funnily enough, we actually played all right that game at first. Well, did they did, but well, yeah. Southampton went 2 up, but then there's the penalty instant, or the, the penalty that wasn't given, which, which should have been given. A red card as which well. Which should have really. been a red card. And you're thinking, going into half-time, 2-0, OK, they've played all right. They've had a bad decision against them. But then, the, the, you know, there's this curious switch at half-time, Bridcook coming in and playing at right-back, Brown taken off and there was nothing yeah. wrong with him and you just got a sense that the senior pros came out thinking what's Poyet playing at here and, and I would never accuse the players of downing tools but there seemed to be an element of the senior players thinking you know sod this I'm not going yeah, the, the to there was one goal that we conceded where from the kick off they just scored and I think Catamore got the ball and Give it away, and then they scored immediately afterwards. Yeah. And then it was like it was one of those errors that you don't you don't make. But it got worse and worse. I mean, it got to the point where twenty minutes from the end, and they were six nil up or whatever it was. And you just watch Southampton. They left five players up in the Sunderland half. They were so confident that Sunderland couldn't do them any harm whatsoever down the other end. They just left everybody up, and then started basically bullying Sunderland with pace mm. and physicality. And, is it Tadic on the right just had a field day and then Brigcup was being sort of torn apart down the left and it was just I mean with 10 minutes to go it was 8-0 and you're sitting thinking this is going to finish 11 or 12 because they can easily score another 3 or 4 in the, in the time that's left why can we not be the, the team that does that uh, to other sides well we did once yeah. in the late 90s we did that yeah. to teams every week and then was an Oxford yeah. somebody would be 7-0 yeah, that was a good game seven. The weird thing about that Southampton game, although we are going to sort of dwell on some of the positive aspects of the season. <laughs> no, 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 there aren't any really. <laughs> was that before then, I was thinking, oh, we're going to be like solid at the back and we're going to have like lots of goalless draws. Although, ironically, a well, goalless draw. Well, that was right, wasn't it? Because going into the up, game, you know? it was all talk about yeah. that Southampton and Sunderland had the two best, best defensive defenses, records yeah. in the Premier League. I mean, so, I mean, Sunderland. It is an anomaly. You look at if you. I know you can't remove games, but if you took that eight nil, the four one at home, the Palace, and the four nil, um, Villa, the Villa, and, and also teams sometimes do get beat four. But it was the manner of the, the, well, well, the manner of the, a... the the three defeats. That's sixteen goals. You know, well, I said like, that to. I had to do a yeah. piece with Radio Leicester in in the build up to the Leicester game. I mean, we're talking about the season. 
And I said, yeah, that, exactly that point. You take those three games out, the 16 goals. And the guy from Leicester went, well, you can't. That happened. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I just, it was I the thought, ma- yeah, think, well, OK, but... <laughs> it, was the man- it was the manner of it, yeah, that, it was, was, that was alarming. And, and that happened not just on the point. It happened, obviously, under Advocat as well in that one game. Yeah. So, But, you know, as well, it's just an anomaly, isn't it? Th- those games, the fact that we only lost 14 games this season yeah, yeah 17 draws 14 defeats I mean 14 defeats would take you into the top half of the table and if you could convert some of those draws at Leicester Burnley should have probably got something at Queen's Park Rangers you know it starts to nudge up the, the points tally and uh, so um, in a way there's a, there's a sort of aberration isn't there in February March when Gus started to sort of think right this isn't for me and I mean that Aston Villa game I always I'm, I still insist I think he engineered that I think he was quite happy when they started conceding goals in the first half to let it happen. It suited him for Sunderland to get heavily beaten because he wanted to get the sack. And then, then you know, he rubber-stamped it with the decision to bring Lutt, well, to keep Larson on and bring him out late for the second half. I mean, all those things, indicative to me that he was determined then to go. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't going to resign, but, well, but just financially. So he get so gets payoff. So he made sure that... You know, he he got paid off because he he'd run his course at the club. Do you believe there was anything behind the rumours of him trying to kind of engineer a job elsewhere? Yeah, well, I, I'm I'm I've been told on good authority he was in he wanted the Palace job, <clears throat> and he'd also been interested in the West Ham job. Mm. So the feelers were out. He was looking for a way out. I think the Queens Park Rangers game and the Aston Villa game were just sort of, to me, they were glaringly yeah. two games where he. I mean, the Queen's Park Rangers game that first half, he sat on the bench, didn't come out yeah. and try and change anything. When the, the whole stadium could see that the problems were coming we down knew one that, side. Exactly, and we yeah. knew that problem was, it, was there at Swansea. You know, Benno highlighted that at Swansea time and time again, that Swansea were exploiting the right-hand wing, and that happened again against Queen's Park Rangers, and he did nothing to change it. That was, I mean, because I, I always liked Gus, and I, I was always behind him, and you, we've said before that, you know, obviously standing down with, with you after that QPR game was a time when I... Listening to Gus at the end of the game was when I started to think, I think you're losing the plot here a little bit, mate. Was when he was starting to have a go about the 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 players and the fans' reaction to like well, what he, was a spurted second half performance. Yeah, and, he did, and, didn't and, he? Had a go at the club. There was nothing was really pro- you know, that, ta- he, uh, great tactical behi- thinking behind it. It was just the players would put more effort in. That's all it seemed like, and yeah. he, he seemed to sort of take exception. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like. I mean, Gus is a, a person. You know, it, 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 he's charismatic. And I like him. And, you know, you know, he's a he's a very personable. Per- person, if that makes sense, <laughs> but um, and but he's very bright as well. He's intelligent, and I mean it's interesting that when he was appointed, a few people at Brighton and elsewhere in football said, "Look, he is bright, he is intelligent, but there is the slight, there is a slight Palladicanio madness in him," and that was, I think, you know, now with hindsight, with we're hearing, yeah, it was manifesting itself in falling out with a lot of the coaching staff at the Academy of Light and. You know, relationships with Ellis Short were broken down previously the last the previous summer, um, and relationships with a lot of people, a lot of staff were breaking down. And so that, you know, that's not the way forward. You're not going to get anywhere if your if your head coach is in those sort of that dynamic is happening. Um, and I think he realised then that you know it it, it just wasn't going to pan out for him. wasn't going to work. And when it didn't, and Dick Advocate come in, Gareth's touched on the um, Palace performance there. Um, how it was, you know, similar to the the other sort of way that the side has cl- have collapsed this season. And what's impressed me most about Advocate, as simplistic as it sounds, is the attitude of the players. That I, I see that being down to him, his influence. And it's it's worth noting, isn't it, that because the players down tools in that Palace game, we saw that 
that we still then got a, a positive reaction well, quite quickly d- d- after Dick that. Dick was adamant because I, I said to him, it reminded me of the Southampton game in the way that in the second half I thought Palace bullied Sunderland's defenders with pace and aggression. But he was straight in there and Bert to say, no, I absolutely fundamentally disagree. The problems against Palace were nothing to do with being bullied, nothing to do with pace. It was all to do because they played a long ball over the top mm. and they couldn't cope with that defensively and refused to panic and be, refused to be drawn into an issue about the players. And, and he said, it's, it's a one-off. I and mean, he was clear in his own mind and definitely kept on saying, it's a one-off. I know what the problems were. It, 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 it's a fundamental technical problem. It's nothing to do with attitude or confidence. And to his credit, he's always had that sort of benign calm about him through these games. He's never, he's never got angry. He's never sort of got um, to a point where he's slamming players. He's always been very, very diligently protecting every single... He'll talk about the team and what the team should do as a, as a whole, but he won't sort of take one player out and single them out. I think that's what you get with a more experienced manager, though, don't you? You know, they kind of they went for experience with O'Neill and then obviously decided that he wasn't in a work enough days a week or his plan wasn't working without John Robertson and, the, and they sort of went for like a young hungry <clears throat> insane manager and then and then a, and then a young hungry slightly less insane but <laughs> with, with like sort of Latin Americans and sort of Mediterraneans you get that you get that passion and you, that people loved in Tucanio but then when it all goes wrong they spit the dummy out as well and then we've kind of gone back to advocate and I think I mean it's it's been lucky but it's been a really good appointment as well and he hasn't really got. He wanted to play that system that he's always played, the four-three-three. You could call it or whatever you know, you want to call it. But he didn't really have the place to play that system, especially you know, like I thought Defoe was was kind of in the wrong position, you know. But he's obviously he, he needs a big man in the middle mm-hmm. to make those three work, and it was quite attacking. And I think I think it's pretty amazing that we weren't exposed more with the players with the players that we've actually got, you and know, you- like. And you mentioned him before there, and you're giving a lot of room down the channels, mm, like mm. people to attack us, and the fullbacks are bombing forward, and you're playing three up front. And when he signed Jermaine Defoe, it was a head scratcher straight away for a lot of us because we thought, well, Point likes to play a one up front. Now you mm. just point out yourself there that Defoe isn't really suited to being that man. So we all thought, well, then well, that was Gus's, uh, Gus said, thought, didn't he? I'm yeah. going to have to change the yes, system. Exactly. To yeah. So then we thought, well, this is this is you know going against the grain of of, of what Point normally does here, and that's kind of. Really, well, when like he lost that, his weird, it, it did because he he just didn't know where to turn. He didn't know how to address that problem. I mean, at Hull, at Hull, that point actually probably kept us up. Hasn't well, it's it? funny, because it would have been yeah. extra, a couple of points yeah, for Hull, exactly. and a, a couple less for us. And well, it seems a bit <laughs> ironic. It seems a bit ironic, I think, as well, that Sunderland stayed up with a nil-nil draw. I just, it, well, yeah. it, it, it's a sort of indicative of the, of the way the season mm. went. You know, the seventeen draws they were going to stay up you, with if a draw. You drew every game, you'd end up with thirty-eight points. Yeah. He's, he's two. He's two team selections. And the last two Hull away games were probably like his, his, his worst, weren't they? You know, I the one believe in the, what I was in saying the, in the cup. And he had four yeah. certain midfielders, and, and it's the worst I've seen Sunderland play in years. Well, and it was the, it, the fact we got a interestingly out of that enough, game. came out afterwards and said they didn't understand the players at half time why they were playing in the positions they were playing, which is unusual for players to, to, to come out after a game and criticise yeah. a coach. But Robwell came out and said, I was playing out wide, and I don't know why. I've never played there before. And I don't like playing the game. Poyet said, "I didn't think we played that bad." Yeah, I the, only, the only sense yeah. I could make of, is if, of it was like in a relegation battle, 
you know, Dennis Smith used to sometimes play a bit like that, where he played like a lot of, you know, he'd have like Armstrong and ours on the wing who were like central players or even had Hardiman. I know this is going a long way along back for some of the listeners, but Hardiman, who was a left back, you'd play him like left wing away from home. So you had like a solid midfield. So if you won the battle and then he didn't reduce more creative players as the match went on. Mm. And that's how we got our goal, you know, by bringing on, <clears throat> if you're not in the game with 20 minutes to go, you can't bring on attacking players, you know, but... He got away with it then, but it was a really strange selection. But so was the one away at Hull last year in, in the cup. You know, he, he did some yeah. weird things. Poyet, there's no, there's no doubt but about I, it. I mean, you just mentioned bringing players on. It's extraordinary that Sunderland went through the whole season and not one substitute scored a goal this season. But last year, no, nobody changed a game. You, yeah, exactly. If you look at his substitutions last year, like the the work like amazingly well. We used to credit them for some real, yeah. real yeah. habit. Yeah. But I suppose you've got to have the players on the bench. You know, like you, you've got to say the likes of. Alvarez and Jacarini haven't done anything this season. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The type of players you would have on the bench. We haven't really had a striker. But it's, it's just the whole thing. It's just reflective of, of how strange I find it all because we used to credit point for substitutions. We used to say... He's got a plan B, he's got a plan C, he's got a plan D. Yet by the end... He didn't have a plan he A. Just, no, no, there was, there was just nothing, was there? No, wasn't no, I think the problem was that he was on to plan X, Y and Z and he'd gone through them all in the space of about 10 games. Oh, I but think I, that was Coming the back problem. to the point Martin made as well about Martin O'Neill not having John Robertson. You know, Gus Poyet had Charlie Oatway and, and Tano as his assistants. But I think it's interesting that Dick Advocat has got Bert there. He's been with him 30 years. Yeah. And there's, there's something... I, mean, I think sometimes we don't... Give enough credit to number twos yeah. and how much and how important mm. a role they play with with a manager. And I think you know that was another weakness of Paolo Di Canio. It was all about him. Mm. He didn't have anybody to stand up to him. Roy Keane didn't have anybody alongside of him to stand up to him. Martin O'Neill lost John Robertson. Dick Advocat now has got someone you know who's been there with him through it all, which I think is quite interesting. You could you could even argue that um, like Brian Clough. Once Peter Taylor and him fell yeah. out, he didn't really achieve anything. He didn't really mm. win anything, you no. know. And I think you know they do sort of underestimate the importance of the number two. It would be interesting if you could speak to some of the court stuff on the Martin O'Neill to see how much of a difference the Robertson thing, mm. you know, what, what difference it did make because that's the only thing you can really assume, I, I, isn't I, it? I, I think Martin O'Neill himself that, I that think must have been a problem. Missed him. I mean, the way he used to talk about John Robertson and you know still kept in contact and. and I think he was quite wistful about the fact that he couldn't have him alongside of him. But then, imagine if we'd never sacked O'Neill. Like, what position would we be in now? 
would have actually like built on things with stability. Would we have gone down that year? I don't think we would have. You know, Gareth would be happy because Alfred and Die would still be here. Possibly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry to bring yeah. the name up. No, yeah, 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 right. I, I don't know if you're over it. Now I'm over it. Now I'm over it. Now it's fine. I mean, there are there, there are <laughs> there are a lot of people who you talk to who agree with you. Think that had Martin and Neil stayed, they would have got the two wins. I and don't think they would have. You see, there's, it, it, but a lot of people do, we'll and we'll I think. Never know, we'll never, never, I mean, never, there was yeah. one argument as well that that season, you know, if Wigan hadn't had the FA Cup final, you know, Wigan probably would have stayed up and. Sunderland probably would have gone down. I, I, but I, I, even, I, even if we'd gone down and kept them and come back up again, I mean, you know, we we were saying when I was doing something with with Martin Emerson the day that um, Poy had got sacked, we were saying like if you look back, if you ask people these days, you know, who was the best Sunderland manager in your time supporting the club, they'd probably say Peter Reid because he was here the longest. You know, he got us relegated twice, but then he obviously brought us back up and he brought us success. We finished. <clears throat> we had those two seasons. You were top of the league once, for God's sake. But in these, in this day and age, he would have got sacked after the first relegation. Yeah. Mm. And if he wouldn't have got sacked, then he would have got sacked after we lost four-one away to Redden. And fans yeah. were outside throwing things at the players when they got on the bus. So he never would have signed Kevin Phillips. You know, he never would have had time to come back for that Charlton playoff. We never walked the league the next year. You know, we never would have had time to build. But I, I know the game has changed now. But I think that's. What they need to do now is is get a manager, hopefully advocate, give them some think, money, but and like and, and, and give them the time. And, and, and when things go a little bit wrong next year, if they do, don't just sack the manager mm. straight away. I think that's Ellis Short's weakness because he doesn't he's not a football person. I'm sure he's picking up things along the way, but I think I think too often now in football and especially at Sunderland, we just sack the manager as a. Is a knee jerk. Well, what is it? It's every eighteen months, isn't well, it? I mean, it, it? It is too much. Every, I think, I think they, they could look at it now and think it's worked, couldn't they? Well, there is. Well, it depends what you. It depends what your the ambition is. is that, that it hasn't worked because they know that you can't every season end up in a relegation oh, yeah, we, battle, and yeah. eventually you will get. You know, you will get relegated. And I think the, the Dick Advocate thing is interesting. If he says yes, you know, you will get. I think a good manager for for two years because that's what they've offered him and. I'm assuming he will. He will look, if he says yes. He's going to, he's going to stay the two years. And he's going to but he's money, got to, he? yeah. And he's got to have though then some way in which you bring on the next person and the next appointment's going to be massive because if Dick now doesn't say yes, they're in a horrible situation where they've got to appoint somewhere. Whereas Martin says they look for stability. And consistency, and their and original got choice to be here now three, gone four, five years. The original choice has now gone elsewhere. He's gone elsewhere, but I think that the, that there was a shift in the club's um, view of who they were going to appoint from Clement because with Dick Advocat coming in and seeing what he's done, I think they've shifted now to realising that what they need is someone who's yeah. experienced. I think, I think we all have the, the point you <laughs> yeah. made about O'Neill is is fair, but I think the issue there was it was it has been. It was a, they were sleepwalking. Like it was just it had gone. It, like Peter Reid, I'd, I'd say I think you're right. I think now he probably would be sacked because people were calling for his head and whatnot. But what, what you can see on the pitch is that there was some level of evolution there because he he did things a certain way to keep us up, then a certain way to get us promoted. But, but it shows that sometimes getting relegated yeah. isn't like the, at yeah, the end, end of, of the, the world. Well, I think look at Norwich. I think, I think, Norwich I think is O'Neill. An yeah. now. I Norwich think, were. I think unlucky probably to go down when they went down, but they, they kept the, pretty much the squad together. They kept together. the same team. I think that the, the thing about O'Neill was it was that the contrasting when he first came and was doing stuff and it was working, and then when it wasn't working and it hadn't been working for 
since the start of the season. I mean, that was saying, I think this is the, since in the eight years since we've been back in the Premier League, this season has definitely been the mm. worst, least enjoyable season. That one, for but me, even, was the even second when, worst. It yeah, was, because it was enough. pedestrian. It was, it was just boring. awful. It was, it was, but even when you, sometimes you don't sack the manager, you know, everyone kind of puts it down to, you know, I remember interviewing Kevin Ball and him saying, when Reedy came in and kept us up with seven games to go, or whatever it was, I was like, do you think we would have gone down if he hadn't come in? He was like, no. Because like the players had already made a decision. I mean, you can say this, you know. Mm. They had a meeting. They said like, right, we really need to get our act together now. So like, if you're down in tools one week, like they did, like we've already discussed, when it comes to the business end of the season, we know that they're actually the likes of Larson and O'Shea and Catamore are actually capable of, you know, playing well, going through a game without getting booked. It's not ex- scoring it's, goals. When we talk about that, though, it's not ex- it's not acceptable, is it? I mean, this it's, it's not it's not acceptable, like. We're talking before. I don't know if I've mentioned on this or it was beforehand, but if if Gus, if um, Dick had, had the whole season with his percentages, I guess he we would probably have forty-five to fifty points over the course mm. of thirty-eight games. That that's what this should this squad should be leveling at forty-five to fifty points with the players that they've got at the ability, and we've seen it far too many times before. And I know we said after the Palace game, said if we stay up, I wouldn't give any credit to the players. I'm still not willing to do that because. They've got us into a situation. They can't keep on. They can't all of a sudden pull the shorts up in the quite well. I wouldn't put Catwell in that category. He's got shorts up <laughs> quite literally all season, but they, they can't just do it. They can't. It's not but acceptable. But That's then, not. But they can't you, go and they can't go and take the... all the plaudits. They don't. I don't think they de- deserve the plaudits that they get. For, for keeping us up con- yeah. every season because that's no, not that, acceptable. No, there is a strong argument that, that because they're just got good enough, they're not good enough, and that's why they're in this situation every season. Yeah, I don't think it is that. But though. I don't think you can necessarily. I mean, I think there's an element as well. You've got to look back and say, well, why weren't they playing under Gus Poyet? Why wasn't he getting the same level of commitment out of the but players we've seen that it Dick's under got him in nine games? But he's, he's he's got that, he got that, and he, but the Canio got that, it, or Neil got that. that the, the, I think it's a short-term thing. Yeah, though, yeah. You know. The players have just clearly lost the confidence in Poyet, as we as fans had started to yeah. go, I guess. So it you know, only, it only are human beings at the end of the day. So if they if they think like if they're going out in the field and they're not really but why clear on what on but on I what think the, it's going back to the, it, it, it was the system rather than the players because if you go back to the early part of the season take the eight nil out of it all those draws were saying they weren't far away and we knew mm. that the problem was goal scoring mm. you know they didn't seem to be conceding goals but they couldn't score goals so if they if, if Gus could have found a way and he knew and I think that's why the Defoe signing came mm. in January in a sort of panic knee jerk reaction because he knew the he was a striker away from that system working for him. That's why he was playing so negative. Which is why he was playing so and, and he was like, He knew how to play like that until Christmas, didn't yeah. he? And I think Gareth made a point on this, but I think before we came on, saying that the 8 0 in a way set him back. I think it scared him to death because yeah. they, you know, that destroyed, his, destroyed his sort of theory. So he was going to play it, play it cautiously, but it was always trying to find the system, trying to find the player up front. I mean, I feel as if you, if you look at the squad this year, for me, our best three players last year were. Barini, Keane, Alonso, and then we lost them. We didn't replace them with anyone who's who's performed. Rodwell, Alvarez, you know the. the, and, the and Gus's problem was he was chasing Barini. You know that he so lost. He took his exactly. eye off the ball. So, and so we were bottom, like pretty much all of last season, or it, there or thereabouts. So I think with this squad that we've got, we've actually done really well to stay yeah. up. I, I, I think Gus as well lost a bit of heart because he couldn't get Barini, and he didn't get Alonso when he thought he had both of them in yeah. the bag. I think that, that, that knocked him back as well. Some questions from our listeners now. Um, Lee Barker likes wants to know what people think about Dick Advocat. Should he not accept the offer? 
anybody got any suggestions? It's a tricky well, one, isn't it? It is a tricky one. Because we see him, we, we're looking for experience now, but who? I, I mean, I, I, Allardyce, it, it, you wouldn't have thought he was going to come and work under an aggressive director of football Well, system. I don't think he is, full stop. No. And I think if, you know, I think if, if, if one comes, the other goes and... You know, and the one who's got to make the appointment is the one that would have to go. He's not going to. It's like you know, don't vote turkeys, don't vote for Christmas, do they? On, on the other the, hand, if if you get to a situation where Allardyce hasn't got a job, and it's you know early July, he might think, well, I'll come. But I, I agree. I you agree. Like the think they'd hope they'd have something in place by early well, July. That'd be terrifying. The, the, well, this is the thing now. They've got to make a decision if he says no quickly. And I think, I mean. Uh, one name that's obviously going to come in the frame now is McLaren because he's not at Derby, mm. probably not going to go to Newcastle, and he's available. It, it, you know, he's, they, they will look at him. I think there's no mm. no doubt they will mm. sound McLaren out because mm. um, he's worked in that role. Because as well he's worked. Before, as, yeah. Yeah. My my main worry is is that like who's actually going to make the decision if we don't get advocate? I think we, we, like we know a bit about advocate now. It's Lee Congan, is it? Uh, Shots already come mm. out and said it's Lee. This is down no, to Lee Congan. Yeah. Like overall within the club, like obviously mm. it is him, but. Who else is there that knows anything about football, like on the board? It's all on Lee, isn't it? Well, there isn't. Yeah. It is on Lee Conkerton. There's, there's, no, there's, no, there's no. He's got to start background. making the decision. But it's interesting that the. I mean, we were all under the impression that the Dick Advocate uh, appointment was made by Lee Congerton, but in fact, it came from Hans the Scout, who suggested Dick Advocate because he played with him for Holland, and that was a bit of an off-the-wall suggestion yeah. at the time. But they looked at it seriously because Dick Advocate wasn't working. He is an experienced name, and mm. I think they hadn't even thought about approaching him because he was such a big name in world yeah. football that they thinking, well, you know, what he's never going to say yes. And it was Hans that said, well, actually, I think you'll find for nine games he will say yes. It's a strange one with managers as well, though, isn't it? Because like, if like Allardyce, Tony Poulos, or um, Pardew got appointed to your club, people wouldn't be particularly like over the moon mm. about it. But as the, as they've all proved this year, you know. I think I think Pardew's kind of proved, you know, after he left Newcastle, fell apart with the like, yeah. with, with the same team, and he's done and he's done so well at, at, at Palace. That's a lot of the time you get names that you're not particularly excited about that don't excite the fans. You know, whereas someone who's like who was like a great former player would like excite them, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they'd make a good manager. I mean, Sam Allardyce, as much it will, it will, it will people will balk at the thought of it because of the football he plays. Mm. If you take it in isolation, West Ham are in Europe this yeah. season from finishing well, mid-table. It doesn't look too bad this season. No, and it doesn't look too bad, does yeah. it? Never so, been in trouble. No, and so what Allardyce would almost certainly bring to the club is a mid-table Premier League finish. What the one thing, and I was interested in hearing that Everton fans are up in arms about Martinez mm. because they finished their worst position for how many years and they were getting sort of fidgety weeks ago and now they feel that it's a, such a poor finish that Martinez should go. Well, Sunderland would give their right arm for a finish like Everton have had. Well, we'll have Martinez if they well, don't it's, want him. It's an interesting. Pro- I think he's too attacking for like a team with a, a weak squad. We'll have to buy the. I mean, that, I guess that's the thing. We'll have to buy. I'm not convinced on Martinez at all. Yeah. Still, he's I still think got whoever comes in, me. Like, I, I thought he got far too much. Uh, many compliments for what he did at Wigan. Essentially, mm. got them relegated. Yeah. I know they were fighting they every nice year. football. By, yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah, well, but um, st- st- staying on, on, on the manager front, Michael Todd is saying that Dick Advocate clearly gelled the team together and got them working hard, giving 100%, which I think we we'll all, we'll all agree on. But he also says, so did Martin O'Neill, De Canio and Gus Poyet at certain times. So would Advocate be likely to keep that up? Well, that's what I was going to say before. Um, that this time last year, we all thought Poyet was an amazing manager. <clears> this time <throat> this year, we think that Advocate's a great manager, you know, but we haven't seen any 
any negatives with them. So it's it's so difficult to kind of. Mm. I think the difference is that we all had a a fear about Di Canio because all sorts of questions were being asked about him when he was appointed. I mean, at Swindon there were all sorts of stories about his volatility and we knew as an individual he was quite volatile and we knew the stories about him and the coaching staff and how sort of single-minded and egomaniac he, he, he is. Um, and so those stories were out there. Gus Poyet the saying there was always this talk that, you know, what happened at Brighton, is there an element of the Di Canio about him? He is inexperienced. But the one thing about Dick Advocat, I haven't heard anybody yet say... You know, these are the flaws with Advocat. His record as a coach stands up to scrutiny. Mm. And, you know, what he's proved and what he's shown in the nine games, that sort of the calmness he showed, the confidence he's exuded, his, 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 his strategy in going forward well, seems to not, make sense. He's, he's not been really professional, yeah. hasn't he? Yeah, very, even, very. Even the way that you, you can... Obviously, you don't know what's being said, but when he goes over and talks to, like, other managers before and after the game, just with that experience he's got, he's obviously... Very respectful and very, there's a great very deal of respect for him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you, you, the thing is, he's not a talker, is he? He doesn't come out and say this and that and the other. Well, he's just it's in, when, he's he, in when, there, he, when he first the point, and that's it. Exactly. Yeah. Like when he first come and you were reading his quotes, he was hardly saying anything. You know, compared to like the likes of yeah. Quinn and Poyet and Zaccania, mm. where you just go like, "Oh, how you doing?" And then half an hour later, <laughs> they're still talking. I mean, when like, like <laughs> after he, he's he, he's not a, a big talker. But you, if you talk to him, he will he will talk about tactics and football per se but mm. then as soon as you start to talk about an individual or a something specific to the team it's a one word answer yeah, the, it's when a, he first comes somebody said like oh so what do you think about Sunderland and he was just like as a, he was like well it doesn't really matter like this isn't anything to do you know he was he didn't go into any of the niceties mm. you know typical kind of dutch mm. logic kind of but i think it says a, a lot about him that he's bought into it in, mm. in nine games he's suddenly becoming you know he became very emotional about the whole thought of having to leave Sunderland so says something about the football club Adam Crew asks Ancelotti Klopp or Nigel Klopp <laughs> <laughs> not Nigel Klopp yeah Klopp's got Newcastle in his Klopp's, yeah, learning, yeah. Spanish. Klopp's, Klopp's learning, learning Spanish isn't he I'm told obviously isn't that the rumour I don't he's know. gone where he's been learning Spanish has he mm, apparently it's interesting a few people asking about the centre forwards um, Gareth's just scrolled away yeah, from, I'm just, I'm from just, the uh, tweet so can't yeah most people it's, it's a question well the main questions have been who would you get if it was an advocate mm. well, that was most of people's Pe- people, people seem to think that goals is, is, is an obvious yeah, problem goals is a problem so what do we do next season um, even to the point where we could let the likes of Defoe leave if we have to to bring in forwards who are maybe more suited to the modern game we were speaking earlier on about Palace weren't we and the power and the pace and more and more sides are going down that route now and we don't have any of that really. Well I don't think they're going to get rid of Defoe, not from their own making um, and Wickham Form I think is going to stay I mean there's lots, there are flaws with Wickham clearly I mean we've seen them all I mean there's a lot of criticism that you can make about Connor Wickham but I think the other side of it is he's 22, he's just signed a long term contract and not just Dick Advocat you know other coaches seem to see something in Wickham I'm not sure what it is, but they all say that he's he's got something, so they're not going to get rid you of him. To credit, you have to credit him for his performances under Advocat, I think, as well. I think he's yeah. been one of the... Him and Gomez, I think, have probably been the two yeah, best I think players under Advocat. I don't know about that with Wickham. I mean, well, he knuckled Arsenal, down on the Arsenal left. Away, he was a disgrace. Yeah, yeah, he was yeah. But, but I, I think when he matures, and if, if Advocat was here, he is capable of playing that central role where you know he's the ball's going to him and people are getting knocked down. I was talking to an Arsenal fan after the... 
after the game where we stayed up and he was saying, you know, you should give Wickham time. He said, you know, we had Niall Quinn here when he was that age and he wasn't that, he wasn't any good. And, you know, a lot of times centre-halves and centre-forwards take a long time to you know, sure. to, to learn the game, goalkeepers as well. I mean, if he can find an appetite, I think, for the game as well, I think that's something at the minute that Wickham lacks. I think as well, Wickham, he's got, to de- he's got to decide, or somebody's got to decide what kind of player he is. You know, is he, is he someone who plays off the front? Is yeah, he a forward? Think, does he play from wide? We play, we've played so many different exactly, formations. Exactly. Yeah, you know so I mean? if, he, if, if he is going to say, well, listen, I want to be... Well, he, he forward, personally says he's got he to, wants to be that. He wants to be a centre forward in the old fashion. I think he'd be better middle. off playing from wide in a four-three-three. To but be that, honest, but like, that's personally, that's case, you, you, been, you'd almost feel like you need somebody who's good in that position now to come in, so you could learn yeah, from yeah, them. Yeah. Well, I think if we do, if Advocate stays, you could argue that Wickham's probably the only striker that that we should keep. I think he probably. Like, I think he will like, be. Defoe's no good out wide. He's he's not like athletic or or. In terms of like yeah. his engine, he's or like probably, physical enough, take one for the team. You've got to credit him for that. I yeah. know we've criticised him at times on here, and we've criticised the signing of him, not not mm-hmm. him as a player or a person. That, I mean, that that's just a situation you find yourself in. Yeah, but, he, the but he's not going to do it week in week yeah, out, no, is he? Yeah. You know what I mean, he's like, oh, there's five games to go. I'll do a job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there's certain games when he's looked up absolutely exhausted, yeah. and he's, he's used to kind of like feeding off someone or playing centrally. Obviously, Fletcher, I think. We all know enough about Fletcher. Yeah. I think it's like it's time for him to move on. You know, Danny Graham. He obviously had a bit of a sort of like renaissance at Everton and eventually <laughs> scored a goal. But I think again, <clears throat> you know, he's he's not he's he's not good enough to play week in week out in the Premiership. There's a lot of average sort of you know. But you can always clear the deadwood. People were saying we should have got rid of Larson and Catamol and O'Shea four years ago. But like collectively, those three, you know, I think been. Some mm. of our best players this year. Mm. The centre half partner for O'Shea is going to be important as well. Well, I, at least I, two. I, I think that I'm pretty certain we're going to see Coates here again next yeah. season. Really? I think the main main. I think the partnership will be what they'd look to do is put O'Shea and Coates as the first choice partnership, um, and then you're looking for two others who to, to come in. I think, as, they as spend, I think they need to spend some money on a quality young centre half I think that's what they need to find one from somewhere and bring him in and I think that should be where they spend a large Rebeige. section of the money yeah bring Rebege <laughs> back get him in Valentin come back I think the thing with Quattas is, is that he had, he had to be given a run in the team as well because he was coming back from a, a major injury and then obviously he came in for that Man City game which was just a nightmare you know Man City at home mm. where he was just skinned mm. he had a bad game didn't he and then but he, he had to be you know, we're saying before about bringing people in and just giving them a mm. run in the team, but it's difficult when you're up against it all the time. But now he has had a run in the team. I think he's been really good. Well, I think the three games to me that really stood out was the A when he came in at Newcastle last yeah. minute and actually had a good game. And then Arsenal and Chelsea. I think you, you saw what sort of player Coates can be. I mean, his heart and soul. I mean, you can't question his commitment when he's in there. I mean, some of the last-ditch tackles and... Some of his, even his ball play is actually not bad. I don't think you know. Still a massive lack of pace by having O'Shea mm. and Quattles as like the main, yeah, is the main partnership. And like, if teams play to our weaknesses, like Palace did, then that's easily exposed. You He's know? got a Scottish father, and you can kind of tell by the way players can't you? Because it's, it's, <laughs> well, well, yeah, he's, he's not very good the Emirates. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. He's in this sort of cultured yeah. defender that we perhaps <laughs> thought he might have been when Poyet signed him because the, the football Poyet liked to play, and that, that's something we've said that this well, this manager and this style of football suits him because he can just go out 
and defend ah. first and foremost. No nonsense. He likes getting in the way of things, you know, like Jamie Carragher used to. And and I think this manager gives him a little bit more license to do. I think some afternoons he's Seb Coates, other afternoons he's Sebastian Quartes. Mm. <laughs> Courtsy. We've, Courtsy. We've said all along it's Courtsy. Said, it's Courtsy. Courtsy. He did say, did he? I did ask, I did ask yeah. him. I have asked him. We, we are, I, think I did we, ask him. I said asked to him, well. we is it Coates or Quartes? He says, look, my father's Scottish, it is Coates. But in Uruguay, I prefer Quartes. So call me Quartes. But then Dick Advocat the other week referred to him as <clears throat> Coates and then Chris Young on the Sunderland Echo said um, well what about Coates and he went who? <laughs> and so Chris went Quartes oh yeah Quartes right, okay. fair enough fair enough I think that's us done now for the summer mm. shall we thank things thank people yeah, who've yeah, done if you want, who, who's, who've got to thank who well, we haven't got a list stuff. prepared or anything so um, <laughs> it's maybe best not yes, to start naming so, people Sun so FM for uh, letting us uh, use the studio um, Sunderland University for, for their use of the facilities I love Supreme, obviously, Sunderland Echo, I think. All the people who came on the show for free, everyone does it like Nick. Obviously, that's why he's only been on once, because uh, we had some contractual <laughs> well, arguments. We're still talking about those, aren't we? Yeah, so... I don't want to have to make a decision by Thursday or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, so everyone who came on, um, everyone who reads the website, everyone who listens... Probably missed off some people who we should thank. So well, that's why I said there was a danger. Also. Yeah, there is. Yeah, um, the football club, of course, who um, we've we've had competitions this year, and when we've asked them for tickets, there's, there's absolutely no questions, and they always give us them, and then they even say if you want some more, get back we in touch. Probably don't and, take them up on yeah, enough. Yeah, we probably to be don't. Yeah, we feel we feel shan <laughs> taking it off them, but uh, yeah. So yeah, and look, we we we, we worked over last summer and did some pre World Cup shows and stuff like that, um, and it was good. It was really fun, live radio and all that, but. We want a break, don't we? I just relax. You need, you need, you need a out. break after the weekend, don't you? <laughs> yes. Yeah, he does. That's the more me, he does. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll be back. We'll not say anything about that, Nick. We'll we not should, go down that road. We should be back this next season, obviously, with, with this and uh, hopefully... We might do one We, we yeah, there might. Maybe pre-season. We'll sign some players and, and obviously into talk the light, about how rubbish they're going to be and stuff. Into the light should be, uh, should be back as well, so there should be two weeks. But it'll be easier to do two weeks when you've had three or four months yes, off. Yes, absolutely. OK, so for the season... Thanks for listening. Over now. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.